You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. Hey guys, welcome back to Catcast, the podcast where we talk about cats. It's the podcast, right? <laughs> did we did we talk about cats before? No, I'm pivoting us in a new direction. Our engagement numbers have been lower lately, and we need to just do something that more people on the internet like than magic. Yeah, I, I, people on the internet certainly do enjoy cats. There's a broad appeal there. Exactly. Welcome to Catcast, Alan. What cat you got for us this week? <laughs> well, today, Kieran, we have a, we have a cat I found on a subreddit called uh, Perfectly Cut Screams. If you heard, heard of this subreddit, this is a very random subreddit of um, videos of people, basically videos of animals or people screaming. But it's like it's kind of like just like a setup, and the camera just cuts exactly when the scream starts. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, but it's absolutely yeah. Just the timing of it is just always absolutely hilarious. Uh, yeah, and there are it. some, yeah, yeah, it's it is yeah, really funny. There's, there's one. It's actually pretty horrible. It's a, uh, it's. Uh, I don't know if, you, if I should say this, but I've already started it. It's basically it's uh, two cats, uh, cats are lying down. There's very, very quiet. There's complete silence, and then one cat is like struggling, really kind of trying to climb on top of the other cat, and uh, it's very, very slow movements, and very, very slow, uh, you know, very slow and steady, um, you know, climb up and then position itself. And then just out of nowhere, the bottom cat just like looks just abruptly <laughs> sticks his head up, looks at the camera, and then screams. And then uh, the video just cuts off right at the uh, to start the screen, and it's, it's the timing is absolutely excellent. Dear God, amazing! All right, folks, that's yeah. your cut of the week. That's the end of the podcast. See you next week. Oh my God, I'm definitely cutting that out. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we just start for the start again. No, no, no. No, we'll keep it in. This, this is the nonsense our fans like to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um. Okay. Alright, so Yu-Gi-Oh! What's going on in the world of Yu-Gi-Oh! I actually have no idea. Does Yu-Gi-Oh! have a news cycle in the same way that Magic does? I presume so. They do do sets. I don't know how free... I don't know anything about Yu-Gi-Oh! Let's not talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! This is just going yeah, to be terribly wrong. Not so the cards come in tins. That's that's what I like about it. <laughs> that yeah, is. that's pretty cool. Yeah, we don't get anything like that. We have stupid cardboard boxes and plastic packs. Yeah, uh, yeah so till the, I... I I was, for this for um, M20, I bought like booster. What you call it? What you call fat packs? It's called uh, bundles now. So I got my shelf behind me. I've like all of the bundles from the, the time so was when I started playing Magic. Started from Zenicar, Gatewatch, Innistrad, Elder Spoon, and all that. But basically, to, where is it? At a for I want to say M19, they changed the they they changed the booster what the box looks like. So it's like kind of you know, it's a different shape, slightly different size. To, whereas the front of all the boxes are exactly the same and they're all identical. It's all you know very nice, symmetrical. Uh, just from M19 onwards, they just stopped being consistent. Uh, and now they're kind of different sizes and different shades. Uh, some, of them, some of them have symbols on them, some of them don't. Um, it's very annoying. And I wish uh, I wish we had a consistency of Yu-Gi-Oh! tins. Uh, please, Magic. Please, Wizards. Sort us out. Hold on. Are you, are you saying that with M19, they changed them? So then it was a change that... So like up until M19, they all looked the same. And now from M19 on, those ones all look the same. Is that what you're saying? No, they're, no, they're all different every time, right? No, it looks, looks like, well, it looks like, like well, I suppose it's, it's just, actually, I suppose, sorry, the change happened in Amaket. So um, all of them had the title, yeah, the set title, and then the, Manus, the you know, Planeswalker symbol on the bottom right. Uh, Amaket changed slightly. Um, so it's just kind of, it's just, uh, you know, orange or Amaket and then Planeswalker symbol on the, on the bottom. It used to be kind of like a, 
<laughs> describe it as very poorly. It used to be like a, a kind of a black corner for where the Spain's rocket symbol went, but that's gone now. So now it's just kind of one color. Uh, yeah, and then M19 is just com completely black. Uh, yeah, Gil, or, yeah, Gil Javica is just completely um, gold. Uh, Juno 1 Allegiance is completely blue. Um, and now are, are they... I have in front of me um, M20. M20 doesn't even say M20 on it. Okay, but are they all the same, like, size and shape? I think, sorry, size, size and shape is the same, yeah. Oh, well, then that's fine. What are you complaining about? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just, well, because it doesn't have the name what it's at anymore. Now they're just boxes. It's killing magic, Wolf. What? It's killing magic, don't you see? Yeah, so many things are killing magic nowadays. And before we dive into that more deeply, um, welcome back, Kieran. You were away for a week. You were on your Hollybobs in Kerry, right? I was. How was that? Yeah, I was in Kerry. It was it was amazing. It was absolutely beautiful. I'd never actually been to Kerry before. Maybe I went when I was a small small boy, but now I'm a man and I've put away childish things. So I went to Kerry. As evidenced by your appearance on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Um. But yeah. No, it was really nice. We uh we were staying in Tralee and we did the Ring of Kerry. So we were driving around and looking at nice cliffs and beaches and eating seafood and stuff so it was just a really lovely weekend really enjoyed it and on the way back we were driving back to limerick first so we stopped in at ballybunion and went to the lovely beach at ballybunion and swam in the sea so it was just a very and we just had amazing weather for it as well so it was just really nice it was like you kind of forget living in dublin how just absolutely gorgeous some of the rest of the country is you know because Dublin people just don't leave Dublin very much in general and it really made me think like man I really got to spend my weekends kind of exploring Ireland more and, and just seeing all the sites and stuff because it's it's just like it's pretty criminal that we live in this amazing country and a lot of us like don't go see it yeah yeah I love traveling around Ireland I think when I come home that'll be my you know first first task or whatever you call it I'll, I'll make some time for a, a round country trip yeah absolutely all right well we've got a bunch to talk about today um last week i said that we probably wouldn't have the announcement of the new set to talk about but turns out that we do i was not <laughs> had not thoroughly researched i thought that it was like sometime this coming week but yeah we already have it so we'll be talking about that but before we jump into that let's do a quick check-in on standard and the arena ladder so how's everybody doing I haven't really played much standard to be honest since I hit Mythic. I've played a few games hit here and there for a while. I was just kind of hovering in, in the top of thousand, you know, in the five hundreds, four hundreds. But then my last session I played, I lost a bunch of games in a row and I'm currently sitting in the ninety percents. So I gotta try and do a run back up. I lost a lot of games playing Simic Flash. That was the last deck I tried and I thought like, oh, this seems really good and it's just like a new idea. So it was kind of fun for me to play this this totally new deck uh, in standard. But then I just started running into Teferi and a lot of the mirror match and just losing an awful lot so now I'm pretty much just totally off that deck again so I'm not really sure what to play at the moment I think I might be just jamming some elementals now for the rest of the month to try and get back in the top of thousand very nice I, I too am jamming elementals I've been playing a few different elementals deck uh, I'm, I'm climbing uh, I'm on diamond two right now so we are we're, we're getting there uh, I also think a lot, a lot of the distance I climbed the ladder was with the um, the blue white flyers deck we talked about last week to game with Seafoon um, I think the deck is still really good. I suppose I wanted to have um, I kind of whereas before I kind of valued that deck because it was fast, it was aggressive. Um, you got to have quick games. So now you know, as I'm getting closer and closer to it, I think it's in my head at least makes sense just to have uh, also just just play play kind of bigger decks that rely more on you know what you can they can kind of that will allow you to outplay your opponent. And um, even if it is just in long games, I think that will you know, evaluate. And it's I suppose like there are a lot of elemental decks on the ladder, so it's. I feel like I'm pretty good now at like navigating the mirror match, uh, kind of not knowing what's important. 
Uh, I've really just been switching through a whole lot of different versions um, of, of Dead Elemental Sex. So I was playing, uh, as well, I was playing the version with uh, Flooded Tears and uh, Omniscience. I was playing ones with, uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, one, yeah, one, ones that just have, you know, kind of the ramp cards and massive collision. Uh, at the moment, I'm playing one that has four Rachel's Hydra in the main, uh, which I feel like is pretty good because I guess with those those strategies like Omniscience and with Master Depletion, it's I kind of felt like before that you don't necessarily need to go over the top uh, because you have, you have enough tools to go over the top. You can go very wide, very quickly when you're ahead. Uh, I feel like just getting that position, position where you can do that is quite important. So Rachel's Hydra kind of acts as you know, a win condition and a, and a card for interaction. And uh, this plays uh, four shock as well, or three shock as well in the main. Uh, but then having said that, I did just I did lose very very hard to uh, mass manipulation just right before we started right before we started recording. So I might consider going back uh, going back to that strategy. Yeah, I want to take issue with some things that you said there. Why why when you're at diamond two or whatever high diamond, why would you want to change deck? Surely, like no matter where you are on a, at any point on the ladder, ladder, you just have the same chance to win with whatever deck you're using. Like, why would you switch off a deck that you felt like was good? Well, I, I, well, I suppose mainly um, my, my win rate was dropping with the, uh, with the, with the aggressive with the flyer deck. Um, so I guess if you're, I mean, if you're, if you're playing uh, you know, a fast deck with like something like, I don't know, 55% win rate, you're still climbing. And then you can, you can justify playing that because you're, uh, if you're getting, you're getting more and more matches in, even though you're losing some, you're still you know, slowly climbing. Uh, I mean, so far my win rate with this one is higher. Uh, so I guess I'm, I'm happier to play fewer matches to get there because there's a longer distance to make. Sorry, shorter distance to make. Shorter distance. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, still don't really get your point, but okay. Okay. Well, you, you, did you play fast deck? Well, I mean, you just play whatever you think wins, right? At all points. Yeah, and you know, um, that, 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 I guess that in, in simpler terms, that is what I'm doing. Uh, I am, you know, when, when, my, when I felt like my win rate, when my win rate was starting to, starting to drop, I would switch deck. Um, but I guess, like, in terms of, in terms of the actual, like, what? Why was your win rate starting to drop? Like, what, what, what weakness was being introduced to the Blue Eye Flyers deck, or what was the, what, what were you coming up against? I suppose, I, well, for Blue Eye Flyers, it's going to come up a lot against uh, Feather, which is tough. I suppose now to say that Feather is also tough for uh, Elementals. Uh, I guess it is easier for this build with uh, Hydra in it, but uh, I guess yeah, because I, I suppose I, I think right now because the the format is so wide, I feel like if I do switch, if if I come up if I come up, come up against a bad matchup, I mean you, you said this happens before where you're playing. If you're playing deck and you're, you come across it's you know it's first matchup say twice in a row that might be enough for you to want to change deck then no, when you change deck you might just not come across that matchup again because i suppose it's you're still if you're changing if you're changing deck space and what's on the ladder you're still basing that on a very very small number of of you know data points uh does that make sense yes but then why did you do that <laughs> i don't know i think i because I, I i felt like i started to lose and maybe it is also kind of you know tilting it's like don't play the second more if i lost this many times uh so I, I was, I was what i'm saying is that when i started to lose it wasn't like one matchup came up all of a sudden that I was losing. Uh, it was felt like I was losing more overall, you know, to to, to just whatever was there. On that. Yeah, like I just I don't think that blue white flyers deck is good to be honest. That's kind of I played that for a little bit as well, and I just like I was winning a couple of games and stuff. Like I don't, I was probably at a fifty fifty win rate with that deck, but I just didn't really get the feeling that I was doing anything particularly powerful. And like one game, I just lost a game to Chain Whirler, and I was like, well, that's horrible. And then another game, <laughs> yeah. I lost. I lost the what's it called Flame Sweep, the new Pyroclasm. Uh, yeah, and I was like, that really tilted me because I hadn't read that card properly, and I didn't realize it hits your opponent's flyers. So like, I thought like, oh, they played Flame Sweep, they punted because I have all flyers, but it just kills all my flyers. You know, I didn't realize that. Yeah, this is yeah, this is your own flyers. Uh, yeah, and that was something I noticed that as the higher I climbed, I start I I only started to see that 
that car to go after I'd climbed, you know, quite a distance on the ladder. Uh, so I guess yeah, people it's people are starting to be maybe it's it's a deck that people are, are not necessarily more prepared for, but people can easily prepare for it by preparing for the decks. Like if people are going to start both flame sweeper the sideboard for white mini or for you know mono red, uh, that also instantly hits you very very hard if you're on you have to white flyers. Yeah, so for me for me that's kind of why I, why I do it. I don't go like oh I've lost more in the last hour or whatever. I just try I just I don't know. I think you just have a more subjective overall feel for like how good the list you think you're playing is. You can't really take it from just these small sample sizes. It was like who was it Todd Anderson or no uh Andrew Ellenbogen had like a tweet that went viral where he's like playing magic is the art of trying to deduce large scale conclusions from two small sample sizes. He's like that's what being a good magic player is, which is like pretty funny but it's also kind of true you know yeah 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 (laughs) i'm not trying to be annoying here i just really wanted to know your reasoning behind your decisions because just the way you said it didn't make a huge amount of sense to me yeah i mean maybe it didn't make huge maybe it also didn't make much sense to me either i guess but when i when i when i analyze it because i guess it's i think it probably is just more based on the feeling you know i feel like i'm losing uh i feel like it's so quote-unquote time to change this deck and I know, I know it's it's close to absurdity to try and put numbers on it to, to feel like say if I just said oh I feel like the win rate is going to go from sixty percent down to fifty five percent it's like yeah you can you can you can calculate that but it's only going to be on a like yeah, like Aaron said a small sample size uh, so I, I'm kind of reluctant to use that kind of rationale to justify changing deck because yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I, yeah because I think it's something that people especially pros seem to overstate like a lot uh, they'll talk about like, they, you know, during testing they'll test two two decks against each other and after. You know, a handful of matches, they'll be able to say, "Oh yeah, you know, this deck is favored like 55, 45. Uh, But there's no way you can accurately say something like that um, no, when, uh, when there's so much variance involved. Yeah, like I think it's like I think it's like what I was saying with the chain whirly thing or the thing or whatever. It's like you just see a certain spot that happens in one of your games that is just like really tilts the result a certain way. And if it's something that you just go, "Oh, this is just going to happen again and again in this matchup," then that kind of enters your brain as an important data point more than like you know the, the like the the exact statistical data it's just like you just sort of you get the feeling for the matchup based on these like swingy play patterns that can occur and if there's too many of them in too many matchups that just don't work out for you then you just ditch the deck that's kind of what i do yeah I, yeah yeah definitely i, I agree with that and they, like that's the same reason why you can't just evaluate cards by looking at them you have to play with them because you just you don't know until you're in a game and you see the interactions or you can even like even when you're in a game against another person and you play a card that might be new and then you just think about what they could play next turn and even if they don't play that, you can already imagine how that's going to go for you or for them and it tells you so much about the context of the matchup. But yeah, just throwing numbers out there I think is fairly detrimental. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and in terms of kind of making a decision based on something swingy, I guess, like what I said about not wanting to play, it's something I feel like I just experienced within the last five minutes uh, right before we, we started recording that uh, I was happy to play this uh, versus Hydra version of Teamer because in my head I felt like, yeah, I, I need more interaction. The deck just wants to be able to bridge early games with late game. Uh, the Hydra does that very well. Uh, I was kind of playing that over Mass Manipulation and you know, I had the justification for not playing Mass Manipulation. Like I said, it's, oh, you're, you're going to, you go over the top so well anyway, you don't need it. Uh, then when I got completely blown out by an opponent's Mass Manipulation, I started thinking, oh, maybe I should play this. Even though that was like one matchup, it was, uh, it was like the band, band Tramp deck, which I haven't seen much on the ladder, ladder at all. But it would have been very, it'd be very, very easy for me to change my deck entirely based on that one experience when it's likely to be an experience that wouldn't happen again. Or that's the kind of thing that makes you do decisions like, oh, maybe I should start playing the same stroke in the sideboard. 
um, it's it, it, it is very easy to imagine to let these kind of small experiences uh, influence you know something wider, like you know, like like a deck choice or a sideboard or a sideboard deck choice that's uh, you know could be impacted by many many other things. Yeah, but sometimes it's good to do that though. It's like sometimes you have to do that. Like in terms of like if you're saying disdainful stroke, if you just like realize that like a deck that's like maybe not the most common, but it's like, let's say you're going to play against it 10% of the time and they just have like a three of or a four of in their deck that you just can't beat. Uh, then it's like, okay, maybe I do need disdainful stroke in my sideboard because like this is just a problem. I can't gap, fill the gap otherwise and the disdainful stroke is going to be good enough or decent enough in certain amount of other situations that that it's worth the slot, you know? Like those, yeah. thing, those things are important if you just get absolutely destroyed by something and you're like, oh man, okay. Like this is an obvious flaw in my deck, you know, and it's that's pointed this out to me now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good bunch. That's uh, that's the other thing that I wanted to take issue with is your the fact that you said you see all these decks going over the top, or or sorry, you, you wanted to go over the top, but then you made your teamer deck less over the top ish. Well, I suppose you still got races, you still got uh, math, um I felt like those 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 are still the things, and and I suppose you know you can. Uh, Versus Hider can also be used to go over the top if you're if you control the game. They don't have any cards on that. You just you know tap out, make a big, uh, very large trampler, uh, and then they just scoop. Uh, so I guess it's because as because as well. Because I think for when I was playing the mass manipulation, mass manipulation version, I found myself taking out mass manipulation many times because I, I just felt like I was going up against a lot of fast decks that wouldn't let me capitalize very much on mass manipulation. Uh, you know, because associated yeah, your 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 cat the earliest you're casting it is on turn six, uh, whereas I'd rather cast a Hydra either if it's Graces or if it's a Vracious Hydra on, you know, do you have the option to cast it on turn six or on, you know, turns, you know, whatever, three to six? Well, I mean, the earliest you're casting Mass Manipulation, if you're playing Llanowar Elves and Paradise Druid or whatever is turn four or maybe. Yeah, yeah. That was turn three. Including well, that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, not. It's impossible on turn three, right? Yeah. Uh, turn four. But, I mean, you're talking about Vracious Hydra, but. You can just have a scenario where your opponent is playing mass manipulation and you cast the big voracious hydra and you're like, Great, I win next turn and then they steal your voracious hydra and now they win next turn. So you're not Yeah, that's and that, yeah. I don't think Voracious Hydra is going over the top of all that many things in this format. And like I played it a lot in the fir- in the last couple of weeks or like the f- the first weeks of, of this format. And I do like it. I think it's yeah. hard, but I think if your aim is to go over the top of other mid-range decks, then Voracious Hydra is not the way to go. I think you, the point you made about uh, beating the fast decks and needing removal, that's why you play Voracious Hydra. Yeah, I think it goes under them, but it also, like, it doesn't go, yeah, it doesn't go over the top of the other decks. It kind of goes under them because it's like a play you can make on turn three or four and kill one of their mana dorks. Like, you just make a two, three and kill kill one of their mana dorks. So it's like having the shocks and and hydras that function as more early removal kind of kind of disrupts them off their game plan of trying to go over the top of you with their mass manipulation more than more than you trying to go off over the top of them i think yeah yeah i suppose yeah that, yeah and i'm sorry that, that was the point i was primarily making <laughs> was that it, it does give you interaction allows you to have that have have the interaction in, in the early play game um whereas mass manipulation purely does the one over top thing even though like yeah you can also in a way like races like with with, with, with hydra yeah you have early interaction uh, you also have the option, though, if 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 you know you you'll be safe doing it, you have the option to yeah tap out and make a massive one and double tempers on it, you know, which is going over the top in some matchups. Uh, I guess yeah, if if you put if you're putting your opponent on on um enchanted melody or or massive relation, yeah, you're not you're not going to do that. Uh, but uh, the option is there to go over the top as well as interact in the early to mid game. Yeah, which is something yeah, that massive relation doesn't do. Uh, I I do like voracious hydra in the format 
it's very of course like it's an x spell and it does it's an x spell and a modal spell so it's obviously very adaptable to whatever's going on so i do like it um i was just kind of trying to put you on the spot for your uh, <laughs> your language and um, yeah, that's what's... why you're using it yeah i think it is it is that's what, what i what are we gonna yeah, say? When, I, when I was saying it, it's like, I was like, ooh, when I, when I was saying that earlier on, it's like, ooh, this does really make much sense. I hope they don't challenge me on it. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it is it is good to, to, to um, yeah, make me justify these, these things. Uh, and, it, and it does, and it does uh, kind of yeah, create meaningful discussion to do so. Well, I. <laughs> I was like, you have passed my test. <laughs> <laughs> I, it turns out I am the one who outsparted all of you. I am the vicious watcher. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have not, yes, I. I've not yet cast uh, Gargos. No? It's in the sideboard. I felt, I felt like I haven't found a matchup where I want to bring it in. Yeah, I felt like, oh man, yeah, the, against Mono Red, they have all this spot removal, and it's like, well, I've already resolved a six drop against Mono Red, so it probably doesn't matter what it is at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an eight seven of Vigilance, and then, yeah, vi- like, yeah, Hydra Spells cost four less. It's like, well, sure, you're, you can win hard, win very hard. Uh, That's why you- maybe it's good against, like, a, like I don't know, something like Gruul, like something, you know, no one's really playing Gruul, but Something like a, a, a mid-range check with dudes in removal. Yeah. Okay, that's what you want for? It, it is very good against Skrull. I can confirm. you got to go with the Galaxy Brain play of, of main deck. None of this sideboard. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's, um, it synergizes pretty well with, with a lot of what the deck is doing. Um, yeah, maybe you should be in the main. No, I'm just joking. You shouldn't put in the main. Not okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me, Wolf, for taking your advice seriously. Uh, I was like, hey, if Dave Wolf is saying this, maybe there is a point. I secretly disagree with him, but I'm not going to disagree with him because I think he might be onto something. Um, it is insane. Maybe maybe cast a, a, a Hydroid Crisis. Or like, like if you pay like two mana for a 4-4 four, four Hydroid Crisis, it's insane. That is pretty bonkers, yeah. Uh, Wait, if you cast what? Mana for what? Two. Oh, because it's a Hydra. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah, yeah it's a Hydra. It's I was like, it doesn't make Jellyfish Beasts cheaper. What are you talking about? <laughs> hydra Beast, I think. Yeah. That order. Jellyfish Hydra Beast. Oh, it's a beast. Ooh, that, that's never come up, but maybe it could. Maybe. Well, if Garak is uh, as part of a certain new set coming up, then, you know, we'll oh. see. Oh, yes. Return to M19. <laughs> what? That's it. You said, <laughs> I mean, M15. Whenever we just saw Garak last. Yeah, it was Strad. 15, I think. It was Strad. No, it was M15. You're right. He was the. Oh, first. that was an absolute guess. <laughs> I've got to admit it now. I've never played M15. Uh, that, was, that was. I actually. I Was he in. Was he in the M15 set? I know he was like the face of it, but I don't think he actually had a Planeswalker card in the set. Now that I really, are. he'd hardly he'd hardly be the face of the set and not be in it, right? Uh, I want to say it was uh, Nissa Voice of Zen. No, not Voice of Zendikar. Uh, the one that made Creature Lands. I know that's like most of them. <laughs> yeah, um, she's a six drop, right? No, she was a five drop. Um, okay. She made four fours out of the lands. Uh, Garak Apex Predator was a uh, predator. Was in N15. Oh yeah, okay. Seven mana one. Oh, he's the the black green one. Yeah, you're right. All right. Well, anyway, to get back to the issue at hand, uh, I mean, hope hopefully very very soon now we'll have all all three co-hosts at Mythic with a bit oh, of yeah. hard work from Al and some regression on his deck choices and his car- individual card choices would be grand. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you smelt me into a mythic player. Is, is smelt the word used here? Probably not. Forge. That's better. <laughs> yes. Forging is better than smelting. Whoever smelt it dealt it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! And with that, we we will end the podcast forever. Uh, no, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about 
the panel from San Diego Comic-Con that happened today, yesterday, I guess, when this podcast goes up, it'll be two days ago. Um, So yeah, over the weekend, we had uh, the panel about the new set and about some changes to Magic, I guess. And we knew, we found out about like three days before that Throne of Eldraine was going to be the new set name. And the image that was there at the at the Hasbro booth or the, the Wizards booth, booth at uh, Comic-Con was like a little invitation letter with some fairies flying around and some purple stuff. So people were like, ooh, fairies, and speculated on fairies uh, in the financial sense of speculation. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be any fairies in the set particularly because it's not actually fairy-themed. I don't know if there's... Any... No, so Myra, Myra said there were going to be some fairies in the set, though. There are? Okay. But it's definitely yeah. the focus of the set. No, he said there like there are fairies on the world and there are fairies, but it's yeah, it's not focus, it's not fairy themed, and I don't think it's like tribal themed. Okay, so what it is is a fairy tale world. It's Camelot meets Grimm's fairy tales was the was the kind of pitch, and we also had some announcements about magic, and I feel like I don't know, you guys tell me, but I felt extremely underwhelmed by the whole thing. Uh, Morrow had been hyping it up for several days and like of course I know he's the lead designer of Magic and he works for Wizards and he always is excited about everything he's an excitable man however I really feel like most of the time for a fall set if it gets hyped up it there's usually some substance to it there's like something interesting or exciting there like the last time I remember Morrow being like this hype was probably like the announcement day where they announced Unstable and stuff like that yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Like, that was the last time I remember him actually hyping something up this much and being this excited about something, or, or seeming to be. Yeah, and yeah. like most of this came through his blog, his blogatog thing, where he answers all questions. And uh, he, he he made like, you know, his, his usual cryptic remarks about, oh, this is going to kill magic, which basically led into him having to <laughs> explain himself because people were like, what? What's happening? And he said, well, I'm going to be doing one of those articles that I do that makes everyone say that magic is dying, which led me to believe that he was going to be making a post, uh, an article with like significant changes to magic. Because the the last ones that he've, he's done over like the last whatever five years were things like changes to the to the block structure and like th- those fairly significant posts and explanations of, of how magic is changing in the future. But this one was really underwhelming. Like, literally, it basically doesn't affect me at all. I could just ignore it if I want. So I don't. I didn't understand the hype. The whole panel was over in 20 minutes. No new cards were even revealed from the set. Yeah, so, like, did they decide at the last minute they couldn't show stuff they wanted to show or something? I don't think... Like, so. That's kind of... No? I think... Because... I, I really don't know. I have no idea, to be honest. As far as I know... They weren't planning to show cards because like Morrow wrote his article and stuff ahead of time. And the article is like, uh, so the article explaining the whole thing was split up into three sections. And section one is, here's what the new set is like and what it's about. And I'm going to show you some art and the theme of the set, but we're not going to show you any cards. And like, I'm sure he wrote that article a while ago to be published on that day. So I'm assuming this was their plan for a while. Yeah, it's weird. So, okay, so what did we actually find out at the panel? Because I might still be missing some stuff here. There's, they showed the, like, textless card that has, like, the new 
um, like frame, so it looks like some kind of new split card. And they announced that Brawl is coming to Arena. And is that it? Um, no. There, there's, there's a fair few things. Like the what they did announce is like very. I mean, the announcements can be boiled down to a very on a basic level. And when you say them on the most very basic level, they're just basically not exciting at all. And it's like, okay, mm. you've you've added an extra an extra product or an extra way to buy packs. Okay, that's fine. But you can also get into the nitty gritty of them. And there's like a lot of little details that Maro goes through in his article and like, you know, sets out exactly describing what each thing means and describing what's going to be in these booster packs and what have you. But at the end of the day, it's pretty much just I mean, the, the announcement boils down to here's our new plane, here's some here's some art. Here's the theme, which is Meets Grimm's Fairy Tales. Uh, here is a card frame from a new type of, uh, not promo card, but a new a new type of card frame treatment that we're doing, which is roughly analogous to, you know, how they've done masterpieces in the past, like a set-specific different card frame. And yeah. is a new booster pack, a new type of booster pack with all premium cards. So it's like a, a super expensive booster pack with like all foils and stuff. And, okay, I didn't know about that. That's and, that's cool, I guess. I don't know. That is, it is pretty cool, but it's like completely optional. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, he he also went into detail about like here's how promo packs will be changing, and like the, he broke down every single thing that's in the the new card pack. And um, what else? Yeah, as you mentioned, there's some brawl news, and that's that's about it. Like, yeah, it was weird because they like speci- I just thought it was so strange that they specifically like said made this like pre-announcement hyping up the panel like a couple days ago and it just seems to not really have very much it's very confusing it was confusing but so should should i run down some of the stuff yeah is there more i don't know is that didn't we just go through everything i mean i can i can go into detail on on each part yeah anything you think is interesting i guess okay so well let's let's do it uh part by part in the way that uh it is in the article so, like, first thing is Throne of Eldraine uh, seems like an interesting idea for a set. Magic has not really done Fairy Tale World. Like, the closest it's come is, like, Lorwyn, Shadowmoor, which didn't really have Fairy Tale inspirations. It had kind of that vibe to some extent, but it was more, like, it was tribal-based, and it was more ba- based on, like, Celtic mythology and stuff like that. So this is proper, like, kind of Arthurian legend or Grimm's Fairy Tales, like, mm, well... Little Mermaid isn't Grimm's fairy, fairy Tales of Science, Christian Anderson, but, you know, Cinderella and uh, Sleeping Beauty and all those kind of things. So we're going to have cards inspired by, like, looking at the at some of the art here. We have, like, Lady of the Lake. We have Gingerbread House, Gingerbread Man. We have Witches. Uh, and then on the Camelot side, there's, like, a lot of stuff about knights and stuff like that. So maybe Night Tribal can continue. Um, and we have Will and Rowan Kenrith, who we met in Battlebond. They will be some of the planeswalkers of the set. Yeah, so I guess, okay, so the, about the theme, if we want to talk about that, it's really, I find it like kind of weird, and I don't really like it. I don't like Magic World being so close to like real world material or like stuff from, you know, stories that happen in real life and stuff. I'm okay with them making references to that on cards and having analogs, but this just seems like too close for me. And it's kind of strange because like, I actually, this kind of contradicts what I just said, but I kind of liked back in the day when they would have um, 
you know, flavor text from like Shakespeare or like the Canterbury Tales or whatever on old cards. Uh, and they stopped do in the in the core sets, right? They did that for like reprints. Um, but they stopped doing that and and they were like, we don't think that's in, uh, it works within the magic universe. And they started making all the flavor text be in universe and not have references to outside magic. Uh, like a long time ago, they decided that. And to me, this set comes like pretty close to like breaking that kind of rule because it's just seems to just be like very close copies or homages of like fairy tales in the real world. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, um, do, do you think you could say the same about many aspects of uh, Innistrad being uh, being inspired by real life stories, by real life Gothic horror, Frankenstein, werewolves, and vampires? That I think that's okay because they did such a good job doing their own spin on it, and like, there's no like, there's no Dracula, right? You know what I mean? There's no like card that's just like obviously like Frankenstein's monster or whatever, you know, in Innistrad stuff like that that I can think of at least any that are stuff like that are like kind of, you know, you can see them as homages, but they very clearly have their own design spin put on them. So I'm hoping that is also true of this set. And like, I'm not saying, Oh, you know, they're hacks and they're just going to copy stuff and it's going to be, you know, talentless and lame or whatever. I'm just, I'm just like the stuff that they've revealed already to show the theme of the set just to me strikes me as a, as a bit odd that it leans so far in that direction. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's that's a concern I would have had if, let's say, maybe you have this. You know, the the Goldilocks card is to me now. Uh, I think if this card was called Goldilocks, I would take issue with it for the same very same reasons you brought up. Uh, now we the name of the card hasn't been revealed yet, but we know someone from Reddit posted like um you can tell from like some kind of hover over text in on website or something that it's called the name of the card is Flaxen Invader. Flaxen being the name of a place, I guess. Uh, so the fact that these characters were heavily obviously heavily inspired by the fairy tales. The fact that they're not named after the fairy tale characters that they are, so they're not actually Goldilocks. It's just but, something very, very similar to it. Well, um, no, but that name, like Flaxen, means like like nice hair, right? Like Flaxen locks. No. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, yeah, like if you have Flaxen hair, you have like nice, like uh, textured hair. So that is a reference to Goldilocks. Ads, I'm very disappointed with all of you. Oh, no. Flaxen means blonde. It does mean does blonde. It? Yeah, pretty sure it means like blonde hair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I long think... flaxen hair, pale color, yellow color of dressed flax. Okay. Resembling flaxen... flax, especially in pale, soft, strawy color flaxen hair. Yeah. So that okay. is literally Goldilocks like. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. For some reason, I thought flaxen was spelled to two X's and was the name of a place. But, uh, okay, this makes far more sense. But like, yeah, so I guess it is very close then to. to uh... Well, I, I don't. I, I think that's a fine name because. And I don't think they will literally call anything. Like, I'm pretty sure nothing in this set will be called what it's actually called in, in the real life fairy tales or whatever. They're all... No, I don't think... Something. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that bad, but I'm yeah. just like... I'm hoping it's like a little more removed than what we've seen so far, I guess. I, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I also think that this... I think this is a fine thing for Magic to do, and, and it's obviously... It's almost like low-hanging fruit. Like, it's... I feel like it's going to be very easy to design cards based around all these fairy tales and it's also it's a one-off set it's been announced that the, like this is the only the only set that's going to be on the plane well obviously so far they could return in the future but it's it's a one-off there's not going to be another one after it they're going we're going to a new plane or a different plane after it so i think for one set it's probably fine uh if they go back there they could have some, run into some difficulties if they've used all their material first time around but i'm sure they, they won't have done that but like it, i do think it's weird that uh like I, I'm pretty sure it's 
for months now, Maro has been saying, oh, the fall set has a, has things or it has something about it that I've been wanting to do for 10 years in Magic. And I'm so, so excited that we finally are getting to do it and I'm finally getting to show you all. And it turned out that the thing he's been wanting to do for 10 years is just fairy tale theme set. So I think that that also had people super hyped and then a bit disappointed because people were like, you wanted to do, wait, which, what is the part that you were wanted to do for 10 years? Is it the special boosters or what's going on? Mm. He just wanted to do all of it. He's been looking forward to all of this. Yeah, I guess, so I won't harp on this anymore, but I guess I just wanted to respond to what you said, Wolf, about it being low hanging fruit. I guess that's why I have a concern that it won't be good because it's just like, it's so obvious the direction you can take. And I'm just worried that they're, you know, they won't put their own spin on it enough because it's such low hanging fruit that the designs might get a little bit lazy, but that's totally unfounded. It's just a worry. Yeah. Well, I guess you look, looking at the card of uh, Flax and Invader, I mean, she's holding a, a, a big sword and she's killed the bears, which is a different direction to what happened in Goldilocks. Very true. Yeah. They, Real power. They, they are obviously putting a bit of a spin on it. Uh, their own kind of spin so i'm sure it's fine whatever um moving on to other parts of the announcement so morrow went into an explanation of how the how hmm, how, how they went through a reorganization of wizards of the coast so th- this is kind of this kind of echoes things that he discussed in previous articles like this that actually did you know shake things up in a big way so like one of them was like the the introduction of play design and the reorganization of the teams into like vision design and and set design and play design. So they obviously went through some reorganization here and basically they have split into teams and paper magic design is now a separate team from digital design. Now, I don't know what the implications of that are in the future and that's probably best left to discuss on another day, but it was the impetus for these next changes. And these next changes are basically booster pack changes. So after they reorganized in that way, the paper magic people got together and said, how can we make opening a booster more exciting? So they wanted to introduce surprise and agency. Um, And basically the way that they're doing these things, well, the way that they're introducing surprise is they're basically bringing back masterpieces, but in a slightly different way. So they will be in packs as well uh so there's no more mythic edition nonsense which is good but there is kind of a middle ground between that and just only having them in packs so basically they're they're introducing a few different types of promo cards or special versions of the cards the first one that they are announcing is borderless planeswalkers so these will be familiar to people who you know bought the mythic edition or whatever these are basically the types of cards that you got in the mythic edition so they're planeswalkers from the set in this case i think they're always from the set and they have a different art from the normal planeswalker art and the art goes all the way to the border so it's basically full art but with a text box and the text boxes are obviously translucent and the name boxes are translucent so these are only for planeswalkers then they're going to have extended art frames so these are the way the uh, box toppers from ultimate masters were done where the art extends all the way to the edge of the frame on the left and the right. And then it still has kind of the normal frame around the top and the bottom. So these do look quite good. And 
the reason that they probably did them for the old cards was because the aspect ratio of the cards didn't actually work to make them full frame. Uh, but yeah, this is this is something that they're going to do as well. And I think, as far as I'm aware, uh, some rares and mythic rares and certain boosters will have the extended art frame. Hmm. It's the same as the normal versions of the cards. So same art, but just extended. So it's just a slightly different version of the same card. And I think that's going to be possible for any card in the set, any rare in the set. And then finally, they're doing this thing that they're now calling showcase frames, but it's what we would have previously considered as masterpieces. So it's a completely different frame with an interesting design that's related to the plane. It's related to the set. So like, you know, you had the Egyptian thing on Amonkhet, you had the the metal on um, Kaladesh, and this one looks like a fairy tale kind of frame. Uh, they did also reveal the normal version of this card, which has this kind of storybook treatment on the text box. So there's obviously some, they, they didn't include the ability, uh, so we don't know exactly what the ability does, but there's some kind of storybook ability. And then the, the new frame looks very nice. But the, the interesting thing about the example here is that it's on an uncommon. So this frame is now going to be able to be on commons, uncommons, rares, or mythic rares. So that's the surprise version or the surprise part of their surprise and agency plan. So what, what do you guys think of these new frames? Um, they're cool. They're grand. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care all that much, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like yeah. I was talking for a long time there explaining this. And obviously these things are very visual. And I do really feel like like <laughs> how you felt just there in response to me talking for ages is how me and a lot of other people felt in response to the announcement. It's like, okay we went through all this big rigmarole and now it's like okay they're they're cool frames i don't care i can get them in my pack that's great yeah like i don't know i mean i kind of this is like an aspect of magic i don't like to be honest is like getting the magpies excited about getting their foils and their promos and their you know what i mean to have that and to have these like different types of cards and stuff but like i feel like this is like okay people how do we get people to keep spending more money on paper spending their money on arena paper team is like okay we got to get the the profits up and keep keep these people spending all their money on the real cardboard as well as the you know the digital cards now that they're splitting their money between the two so we got to give them something more exciting so they keep cracking packs or whatever maybe that's a bit cynical but i don't know yeah so i i'd say it absolutely is uh you know a cash grab but it does without necessarily being cynical i think that's actually what they're trying to do they're trying to yeah basically give people more people more reasons to buy uh booster packs and the fact that they've split up their their team between you know digital and paper uh probably just allows them to you know funnel more resources into specifically specific, specifically paper stuff or you know paper sales and uh yeah just try it don't bring bring measures like this in to increase excitement for booster packs yeah well i think in, in terms of my 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 impression of the, the the new borders themselves i feel like it's very hard to judge when there's no text on on the card so the, the, the examples that we've given so far as i said this yeah this card max innovator uh with the yeah, just what all the rule text and the title text and everything they were taken off it, and it's um yeah it's it's hard to make judgment because when I look at the card, all I see is just all this all this horrible looking empty space, you know, all, all this kind of yeah this kind of um you kind know, of yeah brownish kind of whitish uh, blank spaces which really take up like a lot of what the card is, and kind of knowing that the card eventually won't be that and have text on it, uh, it's hard to make you know it's hard it's hard to make um an assessment as to what it looks like, and then just having said that, I remember uh, you know, people were pretty low on the uh, Amonkhet masterpieces. And I think a lot of the reason why people are so low is because the text looks so stupid on those cards. 
so I think I would say the AMCAP or the AMCAP implications, uh, I'm sure would have been received, would have been received a lot highly um, if text was done well on those. And I guess now we can't really get excited about this because we don't know what the text, what the card looked like with text on it. Uh, and if they go down the road of uh, implications again, uh, it might look awful. I, I don't think that they will. I think it'll be like the normal magic text on the box. Because yeah, if they're okay. if they're doing so many of them, it's going to be too hard for them to do that level of detail and separation from the normal cards. If they if you know what I mean, if they're doing like every card in a set or every rare or whatever. Yeah, it looks like they have different art for for these. They do have different art. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but like, I mean, they often they often produce alternate arts for many of the cards in a set anyway because of like F and M promos or well, I know that those haven't been different recently, but anyway. Uh, but like promo promo versions of many of the cards, you know they they produce alternate art versions. So I don't think that's a huge strain on them uh, to be producing alternate art. I, I think that the the frame looks nice. I think it looks okay. I don't have any particular problem with it. It looks like a masterpiece frame to me. So it's kind of funny to see it on an uncommon. But I don't know. Whatever. That's fine. I I feel like if they're putting so much effort into redesigning the frame so often, probably they should use it on a few more cards than just masterpieces that very few people actually get to see in real life and then the other side of this is that all these different types of cards like i i know you guys are saying that it kind of feels a bit cheap and they're just trying to attract the the magpies as you said kieran um but this will make standard cheaper i'm pretty sure like the same way the masterpieces did so it's fine with me that's true yeah because yeah. when you have so many different versions of a card and all the collector people who, you know, people who have lots of money, they will buy the singles or they'll buy lots of the packs to get these cards. Um, I mean, usually they'll just buy the singles, but that still means that more be open to, to have multiples of these special versions of the cards, which means that the normal versions are not only more open, but under less, slightly less demand. So it just ends up with the people who want to get the cards just for their functionality, like the cheapest version, will be able to get that for slightly cheaper. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the what's how much does Teferi Time Raveler cost in real life? Uh, we'll check now. It's pretty expensive, I think. Between twelve and fifteen around there. So the TCG player price is fifteen dollars. Yeah, like that's absurd for a regular rare. For rare, yeah, that's true. Like Narset's an uncommon, and what's that worth? <laughs> Three mana. Uh. It's four dollars for Narset, like in paper. Very sick. Like, oh, wow. I mean, it's not the worst. Like Fatal Push, I think was probably around the same. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's the last thing that I, the last kind of uncommon that I can remember that was in such high demand because it's used in almost every format, and you know Narset similarly is used in almost every format. So, like, that's not the end of the world. But like a fifteen dollar rare, that's utterly insane that's madness to be honest yeah like you think about something like Glorybringer that was so heavily played in standard and was at what no more than three dollars for its entire run and stuff like the first you know first two weeks it was maybe up at fifteen dollars very very crash back down I, i don't know what the hell is going on i think it's i think it's literally just the planeswalker thing people are like this is a planeswalker it needs to cost more i will pay more for it and that stuff that all needs to come down so if these yeah, things definitely. make standard cheaper, that's great. Yeah, I agree with that. But I just think it's like, just because there could be like a positive net effect for me, I still don't like the business practice, to be honest, like what they're aiming to, who they're trying to sell these to and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get you. 
And I mean, like, I feel the pull. I want the things that look nice. <laughs> but, you know, you have to be realistic at some point. Yeah, and I know Magic is, like, entirely a luxury product and everything, and people can spend their money how they want. But I don't know. I just feel like the sort of uh, gambling to get nice rares and, and, and alternate arts and stuff like that aspect is just, like, a little too far into, the like, exploiting people's, like, gambling tendencies than I, than I like to see. Yeah. Even though, obviously... You know, that's that's been the game since the start right but i just like i don't like them exploring new ways to make more money off doing that you know yeah it, it feels kind of bad and i totally agree with you there and it's it, it it's almost like a, a like a cognitive dissonance thing where you're like i love this game so much but i really don't like this business model and i actively avoid video games that have this business business model so why do i tolerate it in magic and like yeah you know my Sonia, my girlfriend, has said it to me. She's like, you know that they're, you know, you're just gambling, and it's a predatory business model. I'm like, yeah, but it's magic, so it's fine. But really, <laughs> and yeah, so like, you know, with the rise of loot boxes, everyone is just more aware of this in general. So you kind of you look at magic and you go, well, these guys have been doing loot boxes for 25 years, and uh, that's kind of crazy that we just accept it, and there's no. No problem with that. But then when they push it that little bit further, like they're doing here, you kind of start to think, oh, this is a bit too far. Yeah, 100% agree. It's like whenever I talk to people and, you know, say I play Magic or whatever, like I, like yesterday I was getting my uh, my tattoo. I actually got it, my Magic tattoo. And uh, like I was talking to the, one of the tattoo artists and he was like, yeah, yeah, I used to play Magic, you know, but uh, and I still like it, but it just costs way too much money. And I was like, you just have no argument with that. You just have to go, yep, it costs too much money and I spend too much money on it. And if you tell them anything else, you're just lying, right? You know what I mean? It's just nonsense. Yeah. You know, like you see people try to argue it and they're like, oh, well, actually, you know, you can, uh, some of the cards actually go up in price and you can actually like sell them later and you can actually make money. And it's like, no, I guarantee almost no player who plays magic in the history of magic has, has ever recouped anything close to what they've spent on the game by selling their cards back later. It's just not how it works. Yeah. Except so, like, yeah, the, except for the very lucky person who literally bought, you know, five booster boxes of alpha and played the game for a few months and then never played again and discovered their cards 20 years later and sold them though that, that person made money but there are not very many of those people yeah so i i don't like that but like whenever anyone says oh that game costs a lot of money like doesn't it i'm like yep it costs a ton of money like i'm not gonna lie to anyone i'm not gonna like even if they're interested in getting into the game i'm not going to uh to give them any false hope about what it's gonna cost them you know it's like no it just costs too much money so like, a lot of hobbies cost a lot of money, but, like, let's just be honest about it. That's how it works with Magic. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. All right, and then we get into the agency part. So the in the agency part, this this is, I guess this is the part that is, like, good or the part that makes it not a net negative or whatever for me. Um, this is basically them introducing different types of boosters. So they're going to have normal boosters as we know them now, but they're just going to be called draft boosters from now on. Uh, not on the packaging, as far as I can tell, because they're showing packaging here from Throne of Eldraine, and it just says, you know, normal 15-card booster pack, whatever. Then they have the team boosters, which already existed, I'm pretty sure, since Guilds of Ravnica. Mm, yeah, since Guilds of Ravnica. So they're, these are boosters that have 35 cards in them, but they're only of, like, for example, one color. Um, up until now, that's what they've been. They've, they've been color-based, I think. Or maybe... No, sorry, in, in Ravnica, maybe they were guild-based. Uh, but the ones, yeah, for, based, yeah. yeah, the ones for Throne of Eldraine are just color based. So you can buy, for example, they have here the black team booster, 
and you will get 35 only black cards in the booster. I think it costs a little bit more, but you only get one rare. So it's still like it's, you know, the theme boosters are essentially for newer players, players who are like, I have my deck that is these two colors. And now I am going to buy two of these boosters so that I can have lots more cards to add into my deck. It, you're, they're not really for enfranchised players at all. Um, so again, that's fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, these things have existed already. And then they get into the new booster, which is called the Collector Booster. So the Collector Booster is the thing that is aimed at Kiron, like you said. Uh, wait, what was the word that you used again? Magpies. What? Magpies, yeah. Yeah. Uh, magpies or whales, I guess. <laughs> uh so basically, they've created this collector booster because they feel like those those type of people were not being adequately served by the normal booster. And it will have, let me go down here, it will have 15 cards and a foil token. So it'll have a foil token, it'll have a rare or mythic rare with extended art. So that's not the full frame borderless planeswalker, it's just the extended art version. Then it will have one foil rare or mythic rare. It will have nine foil commons and uncommons, or commons slash uncommons. It will have three special frame cards, which can be the showcase cards. So they're the kind of masterpiece looking cards from the set, which could be commons, uncommons, rares, or mythic rares, or borderless planeswalkers. Obviously, those are the really good ones to get in that slot. It will have one ancillary card and one foil token. And the ancillary card, uh, I thought it was just like going to be an ad card, but it's actually... It can be different on different sets, but uh, for Throne of Eldraine, it's going to have a chance to be the buy a box promo, the new cards from the Planeswalker deck. So they always, you know, they, they usually make a few cards that are unique to the Planeswalker decks, like cards that reference the particular Planeswalker that are not very high power level. But it's good to give another avenue for them to be available for standard if they're good or whatever. And the new cards from the Brawl decks. So We'll maybe discuss that a little bit later, but there are going to be mechanically unique cards in the Brawl decks, which I also don't agree with. But yeah, so that's that's the Collector Booster. And these are going to be like 20 to $25, pretty much. So again, personally, I'm fine with these. They're going to put a lot of like foils into circulation. Foils are going to come down in price a lot. Foils are already more common than they used to be. They increased the chance from about like 25% to 33% in a pack. So they're showing up, you know, Almost 10% more often. What do you guys think of this uh, collector booster pack? Would you be buying any of these? No, I'm not really in the market for buying random booster packs anyway. I would have liked if they like made this idea something like uh, kind of have a different experimental draft format or something with them. You know what I mean? A, like a new way to draft with, with different types of booster. That maybe could have been cool. Uh, like that would have interested me. Well, I, I think... Yeah, I don't just... Yeah. The, yeah, I think the point of, of these is that the normal like boosters that are for draft were not they felt those boosters were not serving these this collector demographic well enough. So there's you know, there's a certain segment of people who just want to open booster packs because they want the shinies inside. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean you know, again, have at it. I kind of feel like this is the same as the last thing, is just yeah, I don't know. They they're a company, they're gonna try and sell more product. I guess fair dues if this does it, but I'm not thrilled by the idea. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's. Sorry, go ahead. I'll haven't let you have your have your. Yeah, sorry. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it's kind of. So I realize now. I guess like 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 when I started playing Magic, I used to just you know I was I I literally was when you second out, I'd buy a booster box and just open it 
Uh, and then I very quickly realized that's a terrible thing to do because you'd want to actual, you, you'll get a lot better value from, you know, for standard, you get a lot more value from you know, buying individual, individual cards online. And then as well, like you're just going to, you're going to end up just with a big, huge pile of commons and uncommons that, you know, probably aren't going to be very playable, playable or very good. And then it's, I think part of the realization that, oh, these booster packs are designed to be drafted rather than be opened is like, you know, I, I guess it's probably, that's an important step, but it's an important realization for a lot of new players to make. Uh, when you realize, oh yeah, you know, it doesn't make sense just to buy these and crack them open because you're you're losing value by opening them if you're not going to use them to draft. Uh, so I, I think that, that in a way that kind of justifies the existence of regular booster packs. Uh, so I guess this new one there, this collector's booster pack, is is purely just a gambling part. These literally are just loot boxes. Uh, if they can't be used for draft, if they can't be used for sealed, uh, they're loot boxes. I mean, you can use them for draft if you want to. Well, you'd be getting like two rares in each pack. Would it still work? I mean, potentially. You get like your buy box promo. Yeah, you, I mean, you could get up to like, I think you can actually get up to five rares in the pack. Yeah, so I suppose you'd be using it for six. I guess, yeah. You, you, six. Yeah. You could have potentially I guess. get six rares. Well, I suppose you're better off playing it in Sealton. No, I guess uh, <laughs> I suppose it, was, it wasn't designed with the, with the intent of, it, was, it wasn't designed for the intent of being used in a, ba- in a balanced format. Uh, it wasn't intended to be used in a limited format. Yeah, but if they're all equally, do you, do you know what I mean? If they're, if they're all the same, then you can just use it for draft. It's fine. Yeah, I think it would, I guess I'd be kind of along the same lines of uh, like you know something something like you know draft and triple aether revolt. You know, it's like yeah, you can you can do it, but the cards weren't designed and intended to be used in that specific way. Yeah, I I think these are I again I think these are fine. Um, I mean they could be used for prize packs. Maybe they're more interesting as prize packs. Like you could draft them, have like a super expensive draft if you wanted to do that every once in a while for for a laugh. If everybody agrees to it in the same way that you can do that with like master sets, you have an expensive draft. These would obviously be even more expensive. Every person would have to pay like $60 for the draft, which is a ridiculous amount, but you'd hopefully come away with a decent bit of value. Um, yeah, I, I'm fine with these. It's okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think I'm fine with them as well. I, I, I probably, again, also would not buy one. Depends on what the EV is like, I guess. And then I guess... There's not much more to say. They're changing the promo packs so that instead of a foil basic land, they're going to have an arena promo card. So they'll they'll have like one card in there that has an arena code on it and it gives you a, a pack in arena. That's okay. It's not good for players who don't play arena, but it's fine. Nah, everyone's playing arena, right? Yeah. Um Although, at the same time, I do find that there are, like, a bunch of, you know, like, around pre-release time, a lot of people, like, give away their codes that they get in the in the pre-release packs because a lot of people apparently don't play Arena. I'll, I know that there are people who do more than one pre-release and you can only redeem one of the codes, so. Yeah, I think it's more so the latter than the former there. I think that is more so people do more than one pre-release or just getting more than one trouble and giving away the rest when they've used one. Yeah, fair enough. All right, and then the... The last part of the announcement was Brawl decks and Brawl in general. So 1v1 Brawl is coming to Arena very soon. Uh, I think it's in October, I want to say, with the release of the new set, maybe. And they're also going to release Brawl decks. So kind of in the vein of Commander decks, they are going to be releasing standalone pre-built Brawl decks. So like 60 card with a, with a Commander. And remember, these Commanders can be Planeswalkers, so they might reprint some of the more expensive planeswalkers in standard maybe to fairy would be nice um but yeah the, at the moment they're gonna have or for this first release they're gonna have four brawl decks and i don't know if they're gonna do this every every year or every set 
because the interesting thing about these is that each each deck, so four decks, will have seven new mechanically unique cards per deck. So that means like literally new cards, um, never before printed or whatever. And are they standard legal? Yes, I think so. I think they are. It's not specifically mentioned, but I would imagine that they are because Brawl is specifically standard. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Here like, we why? go again. Why do they keep doing this? I, oh, man, I hate it. First, it was the Planeswalker decks where they had, oh, what is it? It's like five cards Lava or something. Deck that are unique and new. Then it was the Biobox promos, and now it's this. Like, the number of cards that they're printing in extra products that could potentially be good and standard and have, are difficult will, will then be difficult to get. It's just increasing year on year. It's insane. It's just so stupid. Like, I, God, I don't know. It's so stupid. Learned. Yeah, we're, we're talking about 28 cards here. 28? If they're designed in the same, as, same way as like the Planeswalker decks, where they're intentionally not powerful, that's probably fine. But even then, you know, we've we've seen cards come close before. So, like, I guess Flame Flame Lash was from a Planeswalker deck, and that was played in standard, like very very briefly. So even that can can lead to a card that's you know good enough for standard. So this is they continue to uh, narrow the the kind of path that they're walking, and it's only going to take one or two slip-ups for this to go quite badly uh, that said they are adding these to the collector boosters yeah in the ancillary card slot but that's probably not good enough either god i was gonna hope that they um made the ball shit a lot of bad cards yeah i just I feel say. like i don't know man like brawl ugh, it's good they're giving it a bit more support i'm glad about that I just don't understand why you need... Like, do they just think they're not going to sell any of these? Like, is this... Are they like, basically, we want to revive Brawl, but if the Brawl decks are just, like, standard chaff, people aren't going to buy the pre-constructed decks, so we need to add a little something in so people will buy them. Like, is that the idea? I guess. I suppose that's the idea. But, like, it kind of almost goes against what their philosophy was for Brawl in the first place, because, like, their philosophy for Brawl was... Here are all these sweet standard cards that are just under the power level for for standard play that people aren't getting to play with and they're just rotting in people's binders. So here's a new format to allow you to play those cards. But then to add extra cards in, you're pushing out the cards that we're not seeing play before or whatever, if these cards are good enough, I guess. Yeah, like either the cards are good enough and that happens or the cards aren't good enough uh, and people immediately either replace them in their Brawl decks or they just still don't buy the pre-constructed Brawl decks because why would they when they can just buy the the standard chaff cards that they need instead? Yeah, I, yeah, I really don't see the motivation behind this and I think it's a silly a silly risk to take. And also, why haven't they made Brawl be like historic legal so people, if it's coming to Arena, like why can't people play with the rotator cards on Arena in it now? Wouldn't that have been an obvious change to make to make people a bit more interested in the format? Yeah, especially especially because Dominaria is rotating. So like Dominaria has so many legendary creatures. Yeah, I I think yeah I think, I think. the their desire to keep Brawl as like a standard only thing I think is fine. I do agree with you that it would probably be better if it was historic and it would give people more of a reason to want to like or like to be happy about keeping their historic cards. Um. But I also kind of 
you know, maybe maybe they could split Brawl into not two formats, but like Standard Brawl and Historic Brawl uh, could be two different things, maybe. I don't know. That seems... I guess because they're like, they don't want Historic to be a paper thing at all, it seems like, so yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I think that they should go that direction with Brawl as well. They should make Brawl a digital only. Like, now that it's coming to Arena, I think a lot of people will, will play it. I think it will definitely be revived by Arena because there is no singleton format on Arena, except when, you know, the events come around every once in a while. Um, and yeah. people usually enjoy them. And I think having Brawl on Arena definitely will improve its popularity which I suppose, you know, will feed back into paper and then it makes sense to have a product for it, I suppose. But I, yeah, yeah. I think they should really, maybe they should have just made these Brawl decks as arena purchasable only and like, yeah, really push Brawl as an arena thing. I think that would have made more sense to me. Well, I think it, it will, if it is successful on arena, it will make a nice gateway for casual players to show up at FNM and be able to like buy a Brawl deck that they're like semi-familiar with from arena and then just like start, you know, sit down at a table and start playing brawl, you know, at FNM or whatever. That is kind of a nice idea if it works out like that. Yeah. Ooh. What a, what a, what a pack of crap. All these announcements. <laughs> so underwhelming. I mean, there, there is, there, there is one good announcement. Uh, I actually closed the tab. Um, talk about uh, invitational cards coming back yeah. for the world champion. Yeah. I just, that's nice. That. And uh, I just scrolled down and remembered that there. So yeah. Wait, really? I didn't hear that. That's awesome. Yep. That changes my opinion on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Magic is saved. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll read it out here. It's the player spotlight card. So it's a cool thing that's returning to Magic with Throne of Eldraine. Blah, blah, blah. Magic Invitational. So starting with Throne of Eldraine, we will be involving the current world champion in a new player spotlight card. While they won't design it, they will consult with R&D on its selection and will appear pictured in the art. So the first person for this is the current world champion, Javier Dominguez. So he's got that's deadly. That's awesome. Throne of Eldrain card. I kind of like. It's kind of a bummer you don't get to design it, but like the cards were always like basically super underwhelming or like accidentally busted. So I guess they just don't want to go down that road again. Well, I yeah. I think that most of the invitational cards actually like very few of them were straight up designed by the person because usually they submitted a design that was like way 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 too good or whatever, and then the you know design had to tweak it. So I think it does just make sense to say, like, here are a few cards that we think could be interesting. Which one would you like? That makes more sense to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It wasn't Snapcaster Mage originally going to be a land? Uh, I have no idea. That's original. It was going to be, this going to be a land with an activated ability to counter a spell. Counter a spell. I mean, that's just <laughs> it's pretty good. Insane. <laughs> yeah. There's like a, there's a story about like Finkel be always being pissed off about shadow mage infiltrator or no it was kai being pissed off about void mage prodigy not ending up great right. so then when uh bob Marr uh won john finkel said just like give them the most pushed ideas ever because they're going to push back on it and uh you know so so in order to make your card good you want to just give them these outrageous ideas so it still ends up decent when they do it yeah. so he like designed some like insane version of dark confidant and uh it was like <laughs> they wanted to uh, i think he i think he's there's something like he suggested it be a one one and they let him have it as a two one and he was like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah push push the rate on the card way down and the ability way up and they'll they'll come up on the rate to meet you in the middle yeah yeah and then you just end up with like a card like that yeah yeah i i'm very happy with this i think it, the invitational whatever now world champion cards are very very cool and a nice way to immortalize people who 
are important to the game. Uh, it's a bit sad that this came in just this year. It would have been nice to get Huey on on a card, but I have full faith that Huey can just win another world. Yeah, no problem. He'll just win it this year. Yeah. Imagine that would actually give you so much more. I know people are already super motivated to win worlds, right? But like getting the inv- invitational card back has got a spur on like a lot of the Hall of Famers and stuff who don't have an invitational card. That's like now a new, like the people who had conquered everything in Magic now have something new to shoot for, like LSV if they haven't got it yet or whatever. You know, I know LSV is like never won a PT or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> no, he has one a PT. Sorry, <laughs> you you've made this claim on the podcast before. He... I always I always say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's like people yes. who've done everything can can but don't but never got an invitational card back in the day can now like go for it again. It's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. LSV is never a top eight at a pro tour, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> never won a grand prix. He got he got his. He's on. He got, he does have his uh, invitational card, right? He's on the cover. He is the first. Oh god, damn it! I've ruined this bit. I was gonna make a joke that he's on the cover of a card. He's the art of a card, but um, the cover of the card is uh, dazed. He, his invitational card was dazed. Oh, he does look oh, a bit like a dazed guy. Uh, no, he doesn't. He does. No, he's. Um, uh, I also have forgotten the name of the card, but it's the the energy lightning strike. What was that one called? Harness lightning. Harness lightning. Yeah, that's him. I don't know what the art on that card looks like, even though I played it a million times. LSV holding his hands. He up. does not look like what? No, that, this oh. looks like. See, this this, this is Stevie Wonder. This looks more like Stevie what? Wonder. What? Okay, I can kind of see it. Yeah, it looks like LSV in blackface. What? No, Days is Days is a uh, is far more like LSV. I don't even think... No, no, I actually agree with Wolf now. Harness Lightning looks more like Osby. Lightning is not... Like, the, the, the person depicted in Harness Lightning is not black. Uh, they're are like they not? Vaguely I... Hispanic looking. I think he is. What LSV is. I think, the, I think the Harness Lightning guy is black. No, he's not. Who's the artist? I'm going to tweet them. Yeah. I need to get back. Chris Rallis. Chris Rallis. All right, here we go. I'm doing it live on the podcast. Okay, actually, yeah, when, when, you, when you're looking very close to his face, uh, his facial hair is reminiscent of LSV, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still... Well, there's someone here who's claiming it's uh, Travis Wu. No. <laughs> looks nothing like Travis Wu. Yeah, just... Well, there's, there's, a picture, there's a picture of Travis Wu doing the same, uh, the same pose, and it's quite close. Okay. All right, well, clearly Harness Lightning is a controversial magic card. It could be a Hispanic guy. I think it definitely is. looks more like a black guy to me. I'm pretty sure this was mentioned on limited resources at one point. His skin is like very dark though. Mm, I, I think he looks Hispanic. Alright. It could be both. Could be, yeah. We have no idea. Hopefully Chris Rallis gets back to us with a definitive answer. Yeah, I actually couldn't find his Twitter so I gave up. Alright, well <laughs> that's the <laughs> podcast. Uh I think anyway, <laughs> after that very important discussion, I think that's uh that's gonna wrap it up for this week. Unless you guys have anything more. Uh, happy birthday to Emma Sharpson, who uh, turned thirty. Turns thirty on Wednesday. So one of our loyal listeners, I had went over to his family home yesterday and uh, had a lovely, delicious barbecue burger, and it was a nice time. So happy birthday, Eamon. All right, happy birthday, Eamon, and happy birthday, Paul. Happy birthday. Oh yeah, and Paul, and happy moving to Japan to Paul. Also, we're losing a good uh, Irish. Irish standard staple player in gamers world. Paul's moving away to Japan for a year, so bon voyage. Sad times. Yep. And happy times. Goodbye. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys can meet up at like an Asian GP. Maybe. Yeah. 
I have to look at the the GP. Uh, I mean, I'm planning to go through Japan when I come home, so maybe uh, we'll meet up then. Oh, by the way, I don't think I've complained about this in a few months, but they did <laughs> announce one standard GP for uh, for quarter three for Europe, which will be the first standard GP of the year. So we're, it looks like we're getting a total of one this year. How really Boom. That? that is really insane. Like, like, what is going on? Like the year that Arena be- became absolutely huge, everyone loves it. Everyone's playing standard. They have one GP. And there, there's been like a fair few standard GPs in America, right? Yep. Yeah, there have been many. I mean, I it must be that like mo- obviously Modern was pushed this year with Modern Horizons, and there's like two Modern uh, Mythic Championships as well, and they must just have some demographic information that modern is way more popular in europe than it is in other territories and i feel like it probably is anyway yep just wanted to get that out there because i think it's ridiculous all right with with that we're gonna wrap up the podcast so oh actually wait one more thing we had an email from listener namata gg who got onto us about our discussion about uh what's her name jk rowling last week um with a controversial a hot take here so he says, I'm not sure if my, most Harry Potter fans already know about this one. So just making sure, Grindelwald was an evil German dictator pursuing an agenda of racial purity in the 1940s. So against like mudbloods in Harry Potter. Uh, we also know that Dumbledore was gay and that Dumbledore was in love with Grindelwald. And he draws uh, <laughs> a wild, a wild conclusion here that makes Dumbledore Hitler's lover. I don't know about that one. That might be... I- bit too hot of a t- I just want to say I just want to say I hadn't listened to the episode yet this is the episode I missed right yeah. so I opened this email one morning very sleepily and was the most confused I'd ever been in my life I was like why did I get this email telling me about Hitler and Dumbledore <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> I was confused as well because I had completely forgotten that we discussed JK Rowling and like her her penchant of adding information to her novels after she uh after she finished yeah, yeah. through Twitter. And she's like, Harry, Harry Potter would never support the BDS movement against Israel and stuff. <laughs> did she say that? That's basically what she says, yeah. Because she did say, uh, oh, at a risk of getting back into it again, uh, one thing she did say was, uh, Uncle Uncle Vernon Dursley would have been supporting, well, oh, sorry, Uncle Dursley, Vernon Dursley, would have supported Brexit. I know. Oh, God, she's the worst. Dear Lord. Yeah. Uh, okay well check out our last episode if you want to hear hear more yeah more of that <laughs> all right well that's like that one's particularly insulting because it just it just like really shows that she really thinks of her listeners as just absolute children that like can't make logical inferences about the types of characters there <laughs> yeah yeah and it also like makes anybody who like supported brexit for whatever reason and also likes harry potter feel really bad because they're like oh no yeah seriously I'm a cartoon, or I'm a, J.K. Rowling thinks I'm a cartoonishly evil, stupid person. <laughs> Sundays, I love Sundays. No mail on Sundays. Is that what he God. says? Yeah, that was a great scene. Oh. He, he, the, the, the actor did a very good job of uh, of, of Dursley. He did. That was, that was fantastic. All right. Well, on that note, we're finally going to end this podcast. Uh, you can. <laughs> Contact us through email if you want to send us emails such as the one I just read out. You can email us uh, at skullcrack. Wait, what is it? Skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet us at skullcrack. 
again uh, crack is spelled c-r-a-i-c uh, and yeah just get in touch with us if you want to tell us ridiculous information uh, thanks for listening bye 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 So this new magic set, the Throne of Eldraine. Um I suppose as much as we discussed it, we didn't really discuss the actual uh, many of the characters that we've seen on the art. Um, so you know, one, one, of the, one of the art pieces we see is a gingerbread house. Uh, are you boys familiar with the story that contains the gingerbread house? I am. Vaguely. Vaguely. So Hansel, this is Hansel and Gretel, which is a, um, a well-known German fairy tale. Uh, it was recorded by the Brothers Grimm, but it, it appears to, so it was recorded in 1812, but it appears to be a lot older than that. Uh, yeah, so I started looking this up, and I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, it turns out this is all pretty mad. So, um, so Kieran, you're familiar with it. Uh, Wolf, are you familiar with the story of Hansel and Gretel? Yes. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just won't tell it. No. Okay, well, basically, yeah, the gist is you're Hansel and Gretel, they're the children of a poor woodcutter. Uh, and there's a famine that sets in. So the woodcutter's wife is the stepmother of Hansel and Gretel, decides to take the children into the woods and leave them there to fend for themselves. So uh, her and her husband will start to death. Um, now the woodcutter, the dad, he, he opposes this terrible plan, but then eventually concedes and gives into it. Um, so the kids overhear this, and Hansel and Gretel, they, they get some white pebbles, uh, gather some white pebbles so they can find their way home. So as they're brought out to the woods and left there, uh, they follow these white, pe- these white pebbles and go all the way home. And uh, they make it back home. Hold on. And they all live happily ever after. What? <laughs> no, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> no, so then uh, the, the, their stepmother is not happy to see them back. She's furious and she locks them away. Uh, and then she basically decides they're gonna go do, she's going to do this again. Except make sure the kids don't collect pebbles. So she brings the kids out the following morning into the woods. Uh, and now, but since they don't have pebbles, uh, Hansel, uh, she, has, she takes a slice of bread and leaves breadcrumbs uh, for them to follow home. Uh, except what? this time, all the do yeah, you have questions at this point? Yes. All right. I think Hansel Hansel is the boy, right? I don't know. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Hansel is the yeah, boy. Yeah, Gretel is the girl. I'm sure. Of yeah. That. Uh, I was going to try find somewhere that refers to somewhere that uses pronouns. All right, I think uh, uh, because, it's fine because Gretel is uh, yeah. Mar- Margaret. Yeah. Margaret. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, Hansel. Hansel. Hansel is is the guy. So uh, yeah, Hansel. Yes, yeah, so Hansel is. It says uh, he he leaves breadcrumbs for them to follow home. Except when they're, except this time when, when they're abandoned, uh, they they can't find the crumbs because the birds have eaten all the crumbs and realizes this was was not a good idea. So uh, after days of wandering, they wandered the forest for days. Um, they find a, a beautiful white bird, which they follow deep into the forest, and they discover a gingerbread house. And they go into the gingerbread house, and it is uh, inhabited by an old hag who uh, brings the children aside uh, with um, the promise of soft beds, delicious food, and a hot bath. Uh, however, this bloodthirsty witch is is um, has built this gingerbread house in order to attract children, to fatten them up, and eat the children. Uh, I don't know why she doesn't eat the gingerbread house herself, and this is also taking place during a famine. But uh, we'll we don't worry about that. Um, so then, yeah, the witch throws Hansel uh, into a cage, and uh, Hansel is the witch is like she's all kind of like very very blind, has very bad sight. 
So uh, she keeps on patting him up, patting him, patting him, patting him up. And uh, she checks every day. She checks to see how fat he is by, you know, getting him to stick his finger out of the cage. And she judges how fat he is based on the finger. Um, but then Hansel has a very good idea of using a bone he found on the ground, which is a very uh, grim detail because that implies that previous children have been eaten with their bones left. And there seems to be bones just lying on the ground in his face. So, yeah, he picks up a bone. And uh, every day he sticks a bone out of, of the cage. So to which, uh, you know, she, fe- she feels a bone and thinks he's too thin and then uh, continues to, to fatten him up. Um, but then she decides that one day she decides she's going to eat him anyway. So the witch prepares the open for Hansel and then she decides she's going to eat Gretel as well. Um, so she gets Gretel to come over and uh, yeah, basically she, she gets Gretel to go over to the oven and ask, does it check if it's hot enough? If the, if, the, if the oven is hot enough, then Gretel pretends she doesn't understand the instruction. Um, so then the witch says, I'll show you. And the witch demonstrates how to check if the oven is hot. Uh, I guess, <laughs> incidentally, checking if it was hot in, in, in the meantime. And uh, and Gretel pushes her in, and uh, they pushes pushes the witch into the oven. Uh, and the quote here is leaving the ungodly creature to be burned to ashes. Um, so then Hansel and Gretel they escape home, and when they get home, it turns out the stepmother is dead. She just happened to die, coincidentally died, and they live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. You you yeah. So with you started off saying she was their mother, but then she is their stepmother. What, what happened? Sorry, there? I should have said stepmother from the start. Sorry, what was it? Well, yeah, it was stepmother. Okay. Step-mother but, they, from the start. but they still have their father. Still have their father, yeah. Yeah. Which uh, they forgave him because he gave, yeah. Even though he did, he did agree to this terrible, he agreed to, he agreed to abandon them. Um, but uh, he was convinced. Yeah, it seems, it seems like they're okay. But uh, yeah, so I, I was kind of somewhat familiar with that story, but then I started looking more into it. So it turns out that it's kind of the origins of the story are quite uh, unclear. Um, and then I came across. There is this very large database called the Arne Thompson Uther Classification of Folktales. Uh, and this is just a variant of a folktale called The Children with the Witch. And uh, kind of the bullet points of this folktale, this is variant 327A. So there are many, this is a very large database of folktales. Um, the kind of story beats are parents abandoned their children in the woods, there's a gingerbread house, a boy is fattened up, and a witch is thrown into an oven. And that's something that like occur- occurs in like loads and loads and loads of stories, even though they all seem very, very specific to the story. Um, so one, I, I came across a French, a French fairy tale called The Lost Children, which uh, is quite similar, but uh, in my opinion, better. Uh, so this time we have two kids, uh, Jean and Jeanette. Jean and Jeanette, um, they're French. Uh, they're basically Hansel and Gretel. Uh, so basically, yeah, the story starts off the same. Their parents are very singy. Uh, they, uh, they, they leave the kids off in, in the forest to, to be lost. Um, so when they try and find, yeah, so when they try to find their way home, um, Jean climbs a tree. He sees a white house and, red, and a red house. Do you go into the red house? Uh, but in the red house, no, knock on the door. This red house. A woman answers the door. She brings them in to, to you know, to, to you know, rest and feed them. But she says, "Oh, you better be quiet because my husband will be home, and my husband is the devil. So this is the devil's house. Uh, so she hides the children, but her husband, the devil, comes home. Uh, he can spell them because they're Christians. Uh, and the devil, uh, he he beats his wife and then puts uh, Jean into a, into a barn." To fatten them up before eating them, and uh, he makes Jeanette, you know, serve him food. Um, so yeah, so then every day the, the 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 devil gets Jeanette to check to see if Jean is getting fat by again testing his finger, uh, and then the third time, um, on on the, ter- on the third day, uh, he makes like a, he he makes a saw, and this is very gruesome. He makes a sawhorse, so we have a horse for cutting wood. He makes a sawhorse to he wants to lay the child on, uh, so the child can bleed to death. Um, so he sets this up, and then uh, the devil goes for a walk. And um, the 
Yeah, so Devil's Wife asks uh, Jeanette's sister to, to bring her brother and, and lay her brother on the sawhorse. And again, just like in Hansel and Gretel, the, Gretel the, the girl pretends to not understand the instruction. And then the wife says, I'll show you what you're supposed to do. And the wife uh, lies on the sawhorse. And um, Jean ties her down and sits her throat. Um, and then the devil comes home and they run away. And they all live happily ever after. So these are these are story beats that are quite apparent through many different cultures around uh, across medieval Europe. Um, and I'm glad we're now seeing this beautiful tale be translated into um, the medium of Magic Gathering cards. Uh, I'm a bit confused by that last one. Um, why does the devil leave them alone? Because they killed his wife. Sorry, this is before he killed the wife. Um, the devil, yes, yeah, so the, the devil you know, leaves says, I'm going for a walk. Wife, you uh, get the kids ready for, for, for me to eat by tying them on the sawhorse. Um, the kids pretend to not understand the instructions and then the wife flies down. I mean, it's a very silly story. Okay. It's, it's no. not... But you, there's, there's not much rationality to it. Now you, you said then after after the they kill the wife, then the devil comes home and the kids. Run yeah. Or I don't know. The kids just. Sorry, run. yeah. The, the devil comes home. Yeah, kids. Yeah, the devil finds the kids and they run away and he chases them. Right. Um. So again, yeah, it's part. I did want to read it. What was the point of yeah. getting the wife if he finds them anyway? I don't know. I don't get it. And also, yeah. Um. Like, wasn't the wife nice in the beginning? Wasn't she like nice then, or was she not? Yeah. Uh, no, it seems like here she is nice to them. Yeah, she she does try to hide them. Uh, but then it seems like she goes along with the whole, uh, you know, trying to, to trying to kill the kids. All right. I wonder what was in the White House. Yeah, exactly. Oh, funny they chosen that. Yeah, that seems to be a strange, you know, because a lot of these things are like, a, usually allegorical. Um, like in Hansel and Gretel, it's like the witch is like, an, is, you know, an allegory for the kid's stepmother who was, you know, treating them like treating them poorly. And the fact that the stepmother dies, the same time the witch dies, it's like they're the same person. Um, so yeah, I feel like usually these ridiculous stories have some kind of point, uh, but I'm still struggling, struggling to see the point of two houses and what they're supposed to represent. Hmm. Not too sure about that myself. Also, I'm pretty sure the boy's name was not Jean, but Jean, as in Jean Valjean. Jean, Jean Valjean. Hello. <laughs> this podcast is about fairy tales now. All right, that's the end. My French is ever good. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Um, goodbye. Bye.